Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Hey everybody, it's Brian the Engineer, and we're back here with another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And if you're wondering why I'm entering the show, you're going to find out right now. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, Jordan, what's up? <laughs> I'm good, I'm on the phone. I only just got back from uh, the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, and boy, are all of my body parts tired. <laughs> I can imagine. So, uh, but I, I want to tell you real quick some of the highlights of what I saw, and then, of course, I brought my handy-dandy mobile emitter and recorded a lot of material out there, some of which uh, we're going to play today, some of which we're going to play next week, and I think some of which we're going to hold and just sprinkle it from now until uh, from now until the 24th century. We got a lot of good <laughs> stuff uh, during the week. Um, the convention was uh, five full days of Star Trek Insanity at the Rio Hotel and Convention Center in Las Vegas, which uh, you know, if if some people do it. They fly in uh, the Tuesday, right? They check in on Tuesday, and then they don't leave till Monday. Uh, you know, uh, and sometimes you don't see the sun <laughs> because it's August in Las Vegas and it's disgusting outside. And it's a giant convention center slash hotel slash uh, casino, and it's got all of that weird recycled stale cigarette air, <laughs> and uh, it's. Uh, it's very unique, but I'll tell you, once you get like into the heart of it, you know, once you get to Saturday, which is the day of the costume contest and the costume parade, it's just like you've reached a point of like complete, you lose track of reality. It really <laughs> is just, you know, you just, you just think nothing of just like waking up and seeing Klingons and Andorians and Q wherever you go. It's, it's just really neat. And my gig was uh, I hosted a lot of panels. They have three stages at the uh, convention center, uh, at the convention. Well, they have a giant merch room where you can buy all sorts of cool, uh, you know, T-shirts and trinkets and exclusives, as well as, um, you know, hard-to-find weirdo curiosities of Star Trek and other science fiction lore, and that's a giant room. That's also one of the rooms where many of the celebrities are doing their signings, just so you can take a, a mental image of that. There's another room where they do photographs. Then... There are, and this has been happening more and more at the Trek Las Vegas, uh, it started small. There are now some additional rooms, and these are basically ballrooms at a convention center that are um, given over to exhibition space. 
at uh, uh, for Star Trek. So the first one, it was like, oh look, they've re they've taken a room and in it they have uh, done a reproduction of the original series bridge, and you know you can line up wow. and take a photograph or just listen to the sound effects, and that's really cool. But they've really expanded it now. They have um, so they had one for that. They had another one for 10 Forward, the bar from Next Generation, which was just really cool. And then they uh, had um, another room which was dedicated to uh, – and also in that room they had a lot of images from the Roddenberry Vault. You know, we talked about that DVD yes. Blu-ray release last Christmas. Uh, there's just a lot of images that they had up from, from the Roddenberry Vault. And then this year there was a third one, a new one, which was basically an exhibit showcasing – many of the costumes and props from the new Star Trek Discovery. Ah. Uh, th- these are props and costumes that were at San Diego Comic-Con. They put them into crates and shipped them to Las Vegas and were really beautiful. It wasn't, it wasn't that they were to slop together in a room like, here, take a look at these helmets. You know, it was put together like a museum set piece, you know. Uh, it had... Um, it, you know, uh, had you know little cards explaining what what these all the different props were. The the new Batleth, it looks different from the old Batleth. It's got a curved. It's an asymmetric Batleth. Uh, the Detak, uh, you know <laughs> the the cool uh, new Klingon armor and the new uniforms, which look really cool. Uh, for you know, as we discussed when we analyzed the trailer for Discovery, uh, the boots something that I didn't really notice in the trailer. The boots are awesome because they have, like, fasteners on the side, and the fasteners are the Delta Shields. Oh, so okay. Really yeah, yeah cool. that's, that's usually a detail you don't really pay too much attention to. In, uh... No, no, unless you're a shoe maven unless yes. you're, or a foot fetishist. You're not going <laughs> to notice it. Uh, but it was when I saw them on the ground, I'm like, these boots are awesome. I need these. <laughs> and also the, um, the, the kind of crisp white uh, medical staff uniform looks really cool. So that was another thing. So then I'm just trying to paint a mental picture for you. Then there's also a giant corridor where they have, um, this year, uh, the artist Juan Ortiz, who did kind of uh, faux movie posters for all the original series episodes that came out a few years ago in a giant coffee table book. He has done a new one uh, for every single episode of Next Generation. Oh, wow. So that's a lot. That's you know, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it's over a hundred. And uh, you know, they were really because you know you're picking out your favorites. And what's funny is that sometimes an episode you don't love that much has a really great looking poster. And uh, sometimes, uh, so the, the the key is to find an episode that you really love that also had a cool poster. So those are all along the corridor. And then there also are these like photo op stations where you know they had a. Um, TOS-style transporter room. They have the Guardian of Forever from the episode uh, City on the Edge of Forever. They had a Borg regeneration chamber from Voyager, so you can stand in it and pretend you're Seven of Nine. <laughs> and, you know, these, are, these have been there in the years before, but, you know, it's just sort of every year there's an additional new thing. Just cool lighting everywhere and sound effects. And then they have three stages. So the main stage, which fits 6,000 seats, Wow. The main stage for 6,000 seats uh, is the main room. They call that the Leonard Nimoy Theater. The smaller uh, venue, second one, is called um, the DeForest Kelly Theater. 
And that's where I do the annual uh, One Trek Mind panels, which we're going to play today. We recorded one. Um, the main stage is where I did last week's show, which was the interview with the Discovery writers and producers. Uh, but then additionally, there's a, um, another room, which is called Quark's Bar, which in the evening is a bar, and it's kind of set up to look, you know, Star Trek-y with the props and whatnot. But during the day, it's, you know, you grab a coffee or a, a pretty, I cannot tell a lie, not the most delicious ham and cheese sandwich you'll ever have. It's <laughs> kind of like, kind of like an airport, but... Nevertheless, it is a place to grab a quick lunch, and there is a smaller stage off to the side there, which was called the CBS All Access Stage, which had a really cool banner, because it was the first time I saw they had um, the Discovery ship on the sides of the banner, and then across the top, they had all of the previous stars of the show, um, which had all been captains, and then in the center, they have the new star of Discovery, Michael Burnham, which was really cool. So Sonequa Martin-Green was right there in the middle. And then off to her side on the far left was Kirk in the guise of William Shatner. And then off to the far right was Kirk in the guise of uh, Chris Pine. And then in the middle, you had Cisco Janeway, uh, Picard, and... Um, Archer. Archer. <laughs> oh, poor Archer. <laughs> you know, that guy. <laughs> so uh, that third stage was kind of like a... Very non, uh, very non uh, scripted, kind of hanging out stage, and I we had a lot of really cool guests that came by. Um, we had uh, some of the actors came by. I didn't do all of the hosting of that. My colleague uh, Ian Spelling did some as well. But um, you know, we had a, a lot of really cool guests. Uh, you know, Renee Aubergine came by, and uh, Robert Ricardo. And a lot of uh, science people came by, which we're going to hear in later weeks. Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, was there. Ethan Siegel, the uh, Starts of the Bang uh, blogger, was there. Uh, we had the, uh, some groovy guys from Caltech. Uh, this woman, uh, Aussie astronomer, she goes on Twitter. Uh, her name is Jesse Christensen and her colleagues, Robert Hurt and Phil Hopkins, who kn- and Phil Hopkins was like, uh, you know, I'm like, so tell me, uh, tell me about super string theory. And he's like, sure, no problem. And he just kind of jumped <laughs> right in. Yeah, that, that's some nice icebreaker uh, you know, conversations. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then some other interesting guests as well, and a lot of cosplay opportunities. And then, uh, you know, we, we gave them a spot where they could all get to, everybody who dressed like a Klingon could come in one spot and take their picture. And then, of course, we did on Saturday night, we did the costume contest, which I hosted. Once again, I was in costume. Uh, two years ago, I dressed as a Klingon. Last year, I dressed as an Andorian. This year, I was a Cheron from Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. I don't remember if I was Bele or Lokai, but I had the <laughs> black and white cookie face and uh, hosted that with my friends, um, Terry Farrell, who does it with us every year. Uh, Jadzia Dax, and she's a lot of fun. It's always good to see her. Uh, Mary Chifo, who's on the new show, she plays one of the Klingons, uh, and she was really fun. And, um, oh, dig this. I got to, I was hanging out backstage a lot, and I saw, I was witness to a lot of really cool things backstage. And one of them was I was hanging out there with some people, and Mary Chifo was there, and she was talking about how they, you know, they really do have a Klingon language consultant on set at all times. Wow. And so I'm like, I didn't even I didn't ask her like, hey, can you speak Klingon fluently? Because it didn't even dawn on me to think it. But she volunteered. She's like, no, I don't speak Klingon fluently, but I can read it really well. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's intense. <laughs> you know, so it's really cool. She, you know, she's very young. This is like her first big gig, and she's dynamite. So anyway, and she's a real fan. She's hardcore. Um, so we're back there, and then like the door door opens and closes, and people you know wander in for a minute. They grab a 
grab a Sprite, and they wander out. Um, and then at one point, uh, Michael Dorn shows up. Oh. Just for no reason. You know, I, I don't know no reason. He had to collect his, his jacket was in there or something. I don't know. In the, back, in the green room. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I've met Michael Dorn a bunch of times. I don't know necessarily if he remembers my name just by looking at me, but he kind of comes in. And I go, oh, hello. And he goes, hi. And there were some other people there, and Mary Chiva was there, and so she introduced herself. She was like, hi, I'm one of the new Klingons. And he was just like, big smile, and was just like, <laughs> welcome. You know, gave her a real nice welcoming smile. But I could kind of tell, like, at the back of his mind, he's thinking, you have no idea what you're in for, <laughs> you know. Because he played, a, he's been in more episodes of Star Trek than anyone. Yeah. He spent more hours in a makeup chair than probably any human alive. <laughs> and uh, he did, he asked her, he's, so he was like, uh, how, how long does it take him to do the makeup for you? You know, they started trading, you know, stories about sitting in the chair. Anyway, it was just kind of a really fun moment <laughs> to, to witness. So that was pretty cool. Um Another uh, funny moment for me, <laughs> Brian, since I like confessing <laughs> when I'm a dummy, is I was in the green room by myself, and I was about to interview on the big stage. And I did not record this because it was a very visual panel, because we had a lot of images. But the Academy Award-winning makeup designer, Joel Harlow, who um, did the most three recent Star Trek movies, and there's a book coming out based on his work for Star Trek uh, Beyond. Um, and, uh, you know, he flew in from someplace sexy, I forget where, uh, he was on the set of Godzilla 2, but he came in, uh, just to do, uh, this panel and, you know, do a book signing and, um, I'm waiting for him in the green room and I don't know what he looks like cause I'm stupid and didn't bother to Google him and find out what he looks like before he came in. So a man comes in and I'm, you know, he looks like he could be the right age for a uh, you know a, a, a seasoned and uh, well uh, appreciated uh, makeup special effects artist in the prime of his career. So I go, oh hi, uh, my name's Jordan. Are are you Joel? And he says, and out comes an accent with uh, you know a New Zealand accent. He goes, no, I'm Carl. And then he sits down. I'm like, oh okay. And then some time passes, and I go, oh, that's Carl Urban. <laughs> I was, that, that's, that was what you could have seen my face that I, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm an idiot. Like I, <laughs> I like, first of all, I've interviewed Carl Urban before, uh, for, for never for Star Trek, but for dread. The brilliant, I was going to say, if you were interview if this was for dread, then maybe you can get a pass for that. But, no, but I also see him in the movies. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't look that different in life. He looks like Carl Urban. <laughs> His hair was a little darker. I don't know if he dyed it for a role well, or he, had he to dyed shave it for, it for Thor, other things. So. Yeah, he's done the story, but his hair was kind of dark. <laughs> but it was clearly Carl Urban. And I'm just like, oh, I'm, and then later I have to, like, then we're alone together. So I kind of have to talk. To, I mean, I, I want to leave him alone. I don't want to bug him, but I kind of have to, like, tell him who I am. So I have to say hi. I host the official Star Trek podcast. I'm like, and I'm the asshole who doesn't recognize... <laughs> Probably my favorite actor in these new movies. <laughs> I is actually Bones. agree with you. I mean, he's so good at, at Bones. He's, but I, I, I wanted to say like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've been running around all day. I didn't. I just left it alone. I just pretended like it didn't happen. <laughs> but I don't think he was insulted. But like, when I said I, I host the podcast, he must have been like, what? Well, what kind of moron did they get to host the podcast? And you know, when you're not expecting Carl Urban to walk in and some dude, and you're expecting somebody else. And Who you don't know what they look up. like. Uh, Brian, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's just, it's just a mess. 
So, uh, anywho, that's kind of the story of the three stages. It was five days. It is, and I say this really, so much fun if, if you are a Star Trek fan. And then the star of the show, of course, is just seeing everybody else. I mean, there's constantly many things happening at once. There's always cool things happening on one of the three stages. There is a lot of counter-programming. So if you don't want to hear William Shatner talk again, because many people have seen that, you can come to stage three, and I would be hosting a chat with... You know, I don't know, Sarah Gatos, the editor from IDW Publishing. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of sort of, you know, you don't have to just do one thing. But then there's just hanging out and getting a drink and doing Klingon karaoke and, <laughs> you know, meeting people and seeing people in costume and taking their pictures. There were so many creative costumes uh, that people put a lot of thought and energy into. It was just really a lot of fun. So uh, if you've never done it, uh, and if you're enough of a fan to be listening to this show, it's something to consider every August, uh, the big Las Vegas convention. There's like nothing else. Um, you know, it ain't cheap. Although, you know, if you don't stay at the Rio, I mean, the Rio is not an expensive hotel. It's a mid-range, uh, Atlantic, uh, uh, mid-range Las Vegas hotel. But um, there are a lot of people who are just like, look, you know, to fly here and to take time off work, um, I don't stay at the Rio. I stay, and there's other hotels within a very short walk or because Las Vegas is hot and disgusting, you could take a cab over in the morning. I mean, you could stay in Vegas in a non-disgusting hotel for twenty nine ninety nine a night if you look hard enough. I mean, yeah. Vegas is, is king of the cheap hotel rooms because they want you there to waste money on their, uh, you know, video poker. You know, yeah. that's kind of the whole thing. So there are ways to hack the system and, and stay there inexpensively. Uh, it's something to consider for next year. So, with that, I figure uh, this week, you know, last week we kind of rushed to the airwaves, the podcast waves, the interview I did with the uh, producers and writing staff, which if you haven't listened to, you should, with Akiva Goldsman, Kirsten Beyer, and Ted Sullivan. Um, there was a second panel that day at the end of a four-hour block. There was a four-hour block wow. of discovery. We kicked it off with what you heard last week, Ted, Kirsten, and Akiva. And then my colleague, Scott Movie Mance, who's been a guest on this show, he interviewed some of the actors. He interviewed Mary Chifo, um, uh, Ken Mitchell, and uh, others. Um, I forget because I, I was backstage, so I didn't actually watch it. Um, and that is on YouTube, by the way. You can find that oh. uh, that video on YouTube of the full hour. And then my colleague Ian Spelling spoke to um, um, the Neville Page, uh, the uh, special effects and costumers of the new show. Um, and then uh, I came back for a chat with the sort of um, the ancillary stuff. And it was funny is that a lot of people were walking out. And as you'll hear in the interview, I was like, wait, wait, come back. Uh, because it was been, four hours, it been three hours at that point. So it was, again, Kirsten Beyer, um, and, and she kind of represents the uh, overall uh, conduit between the official writer's room of the new show and the comics and books. And then from the comic side, it was Sarah Gatos, the editor, and Mike Johnson, the writer. And then uh, from the uh, novel side, there was uh, David Mack, a uh, special guest who showed up at the end, and his editor, Ed Schlesinger, at Simon & Schuster. And that chat was interesting because it kind of, by its very nature, by talking about the prequel comics and books that are coming out right with the show, gave away more story points about Discovery than the Discovery panel did. Interesting. So, um, you know, I'm going to not, not say it, and I'll let you listen to it. So we're going to have that 
um, up on this podcast today. But before that, Brian, I thought it might be fun. I did two one-track mind panels. And we've, um, we had one on the podcast before from our New York convention where we put together our sort of uh, fantasy All-star league cast, crew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this time we did two panels. One, we did the best non-Star Trek roles of Patrick Stewart, which was pretty fun. <laughs> but the one that I thought we would play is the we listed the top ten. And by the way, Professor X came in first place. Don't worry. I was going to ask you if Avery Bullock from American Dad made in that list. No, it no! didn't. And I was annoyed oh. because it was on the list and then it got nixed because, you know, the way it works is we take nominations and, you know, we get up, like, we get like 14 on the board and then we have to nix four and rearrange the ten. And that was one of the ones that was tied for 11th place. Ah. Yes, yeah, somebody was like, there were some real anti-animation people but in the But the stuff audience. they get him to say in that show is incredible. Yeah. No, I was very annoyed. I put up a fight. <laughs> and But they're like, no, they want to like Canterville Ghost and Scrooge. And I'm like, one or the other. Come on. But <laughs> his guest shot on Frasier made it, but not American Dad. I was ah. annoyed. I was annoyed, but uh, I Claudius made it. The the the. If you go to StarTrek.com, you can find the top ten list itself. Anywho, uh, the other uh, one that we did was the top ten uh, moments in the holodeck, best holodeck or hollow suite ah. episodes. So you know what, we can go ahead and listen to that now. Hey, but you know, before we do, Brian, there's something we got to talk about, yes, right? Yes, there is. <laughs> yes, right. Even though we're on the phone, I can see you waving your arms, <laughs> saying, "Wait, wait, wait! Don't, don't go yet. We have to finish." If uh, you're like me and you go to conventions and record a high-resolution audio uh, for a podcast, when you want to put those on your hard drive on your computer, you're going to need some extra space. Right, Brian? That's correct. So the best place to get extra space is with a um, solid-state drive from Western Digital. And so I'm told Western Digital uh, has uh, a special rate for Engage Listeners, if you go to wd.com slash engage, you're going to be able to find uh, one of those uh, blue or black um, uh, hard drives that you can install into your uh, PC, and it's going to give you, as I'm told, blazing read speeds. That is correct. And you're going to have basically untold gigabytes and trilobytes and megabytes and all kinds of bytes to add, um, you know, you don't have to worry about keeping things on separate drives. You know, you're going to have all the space you need for audio, for video, for comics, uh, high-res, uh, for, for all kinds of stuff. And the way to do it is to go to wd.com slash engage, and we have a special code, which is wdengage, would engage, all one word, wdengage, and that will give you 20% off. And if you're thinking about getting um, – Thinking about getting a drive, you might as well do it and, and not pay the full price, right? Get Absolutely. 20% off. So what I would recommend is go to wd.com slash engage. That's what I wanted to say before we kicked it over to the pre-recorded audio. Um, and now I have done that. So that makes everyone happy, right? I think so, yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> good, good. Actually, I'm not happy because I'm still mad about Avery Bullock. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's annoying. Uh, you know, but that's what it's like when you do one of these panels, you know. And you'll hear um, in the Holodeck episode one, uh, you know, there were some really good ones that got nixed on technicalities or, um, you know, I, the one that I thought would be number one did not make it to number one, as you'll hear. I was surprised. Yeah, I have not heard it yet. I'm, I'm still waiting for Jordan to send me the files. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'm, once I hang up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit upload <laughs> on the thing. Don't worry. 
<laughs> I still know how to hit upload on the thing. So, uh, cool. So, uh, in a moment, we're going to hear that, the One Trek Mind Panel, direct from Star Trek Las Vegas 2017, and then sort of as an added bonus, so this is going to be a lengthy episode, as an added bonus, we're going to include that second panel with uh, all those people I mentioned, Kirsten, David Mack, um, uh, Mike Johnson, Sarah Gatos, and by the way, Mike and I did a, a one-on-one panel on the third stage that we're going to hear later on the show, and I did another one with Sarah, and because she'd been a guest on the show before one-on-one, I didn't record it, and it turned out that it was like the best panel I did with, oh. with Sarah. Just, for whatever reason, everybody was in a really good mood, and it was very funny, and naturally I didn't record it, but Sarah is wonderful, and if by any chance she's listening to this, uh, big, big hugs to her. And, um, and that's what we're going to do now. So stick around. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. We're going to go right into the next thing here. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Star Trek conventions don't start till we do at least one of these panels. So uh, let's have our first One Trick Mind panel, and I'll be introduced to Mr. Jordan Hoffman. All right. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Okay. We're getting set up. Oh, it's blinding. They moved, they changed the lights. I remember this from last year. It's blindingly bright. Um, we're, we're just getting ready now. You can see um, we're putting out some goodies on the stage. And um, we have a mic. Do we just have the one this year? Okay, well, we just have one. That's fine. That's fine. Um, some people are lined up already because they know how this works. But for some people who don't know, if you're just coming in, we have a little bit less than an hour to determine once and for all, with great authority, what are the 10 best holodeck episodes of Star Trek. Uh, these will be, we're going to determine what the episode is based on what specific awesome thing happens in the holodeck. Now, on some episodes, it's all holodeck. And on other episodes, it's just an instant on the holodeck. Nevertheless, whatever it is, is what's going to be in the top ten. Um, and if you've never played One Trek Mind before, everybody who comes up and uh, makes a suggestion gets, to, uh, gets a prize for just for playing. Uh, if you come up with a really good idea, you can take an even better prize. How does that sound? Um, and we have on the monitors... Oh, the monitor's over there this time, and we have it down here. Um, we're just going to get some thought starters going. So what we're going to eventually have is a list of 10, and we're going to go numerically from 10 down to 1. Uh, there's how it's going to look. Now it's blank, but in uh, 51 and a half minutes, it's going to be full. So before we get going, I just want to get some thought starters going. Uh, these are most of the episodes. There's probably one or two that we forgot, but these are most of them, and the, you know, if this way you have an image in your head if you want to 
to nominate something. You're going to come to the mic, say, I pick episode X, and we're going to applaud and say we agree, or we're going to boo and say no, okay? And we're going to boo you, boo you back, back to your seat, and you're going to have your head hanging in shame. Okay, so just as some thought starters from TNG, uh, the episode, I'm not going to say its name, but the one one zero with Minuet, you can see her there. Fistful of Datas is a really fun one. Madam of Perspective, which of course uh, has a whole courtroom scenario set in the holodeck. Uh, Booby Trap with uh, uh, Commander LaForge's girlfriend, or would-be girlfriend. Uh, Clues, which is one of a number of Dixon Hill episodes. Uh, Descent, which was a two-parter that has, of course, the famous card game uh, between uh, was it uh, um, Einstein, Newton, and um, uh, Hawking. Thank you. Uh, Devil's Due, which uh, which is a little reversal play because it's normally Patrick Stewart who does Christmas Carol, but this time it was Data. Uh, Elementary Data, Dear Data, was one of uh, a number of Sherlock Holmes episodes. Emergence, where the holodeck itself had like holographic children or something, and they all wind up on a steampunky train. Encounter at Farpoint, the very first time we see the holiday. Look how young Data looks in there, my god. Can we go to the next page? Uh, future Imperfect, remember Riker wakes up 15 years in the future? Hollow Pursuits, Barclay's um, rather <laughs> fantastic uh, thoughts and dreams. Uh, Homeward, where they go to the uh, Middle Ages. Manhunt, another Dixon Hill. Cupid, a lot of fun stuff on that one. Relics with Scotty, with the recreation of the TOS Bridge, which we just have down the block uh, right here at the, the hotel. Uh, Ship of the Bottle, and another one with Moriarty. Skin of Evil, of course. Tasha Yar's Funeral. Big Goodbye, another Dixon Hill. Um, Cost of Living, you remember Wharf in the bubble bath, and they're like Wacky Land or something. Let's go very quickly through the others. Just look at them real quick. I love that episode, The Dauphin, um, Outrageous Okona. Then we have the films, of course. Uh, Insurrection is basically a whole holodeck episode in a way. First Contact is a really good Dixon Hill episode. Uh, we've got Vic Fontaine uh, showing up more than once. Let's go to the next page just to keep it moving. Remember, uh, remember Quark's head on uh, Kira's body? Our man Bashir, I think Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite is a very strong contender for a top three spot. We have a lot of Captain Proton episodes. Bride of Chaotica, probably the most famous. Then we have the uh, Lucille Davenport episodes and also Janeway's Irish Adventures. Uh, let's go to the next page. Uh, another one of the um, uh, Captain Protons, of course, remember uh, young Naomi Wildman had an episode in the holodeck. Uh, remember the thaw when the clown of fear or whatever it was came through? That was a fun one. Um, and um, uh, the cloud was the first... Um, First appearance of Sandrine's, the episode of Fresh Sandrine. Let's go to the last page. Um, who could forget uh, These Are the Voyages, the last episode of Enterprise? I don't suspect that that is going to end up in the top 10. Um, did we mention my favorite? Because I always like to kick things off and take my executive privilege. Can we go back one page? Remember the two parter episode, The Killing Game? which had, um, among uh, many other things, the Herogen as the Nazis, and it had Seven of Nine with her hair down. 
I think Seven of Nine with her hair down, we should just have best top ten moments of Seven of Nine's hair. But I am going to, now, just when we get things started, we don't necessarily keep them there. We can move them around. We usually like to get 12 or 13 on the board, then we have to kill a few. But I'm going to say the killing game should be at number five, right in the middle. So, co computer, can we put the killing game at number five? And then it's possible that some of our contestants today will want to disagree, and they'll start shouting at me. But for now... Mm. That episode is a lot of fun. I think it's a, it's a two-parter, and they basically have to blast their way out of the holo, holodeck. It's crazy. So, you, sir, you were first lined up. I want to hear from you. What would you like to nominate? I would like to nominate Ship in a Bottle. And basically, because of the line, computer end program. And they keep trying to end the program by saying that. And I, I personally feel that we're kind of living in a hologram. So I find myself saying into the atmosphere, computer end program, please. <laughs> Ship in a bottle. This was the uh, first or second of the Moriarty episodes? The second. second. This is the second one where yeah. things got really serious because they thought they had put it in a box and he's come back to haunt us. Do so we think Ship in a Bottle is going to be one of the 10 best holodeck episodes? Yeah. All right, uh, computer, let's get it up there on the other, on the other um, board. Where, uh, what, do you, what number should we put it in for now? Should we? Number one? No, no. Let's put it in number four for now and we can always move it around. We just got to get it on the other board. So please take a plague something. And you, sir, on this side, what would you like to nominate for your top 10? I was actually going to nominate both of them together because I feel that they're a great combination piece. No combination pieces on One Trek Mine. You must I, choose. I think the audience disagrees. No, I say no because it would be too complicated to have with the board. So we got to, we, if you want to select, select the other uh, uh, elementary deer data, you can suggest that. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got the mic. Which one do you want? Um, I'll go to the back line and rethink of another one. <laughs> All right, he's going to the back. He's recusing himself. He has to think some more. Hats off for recusing himself. On this side, what would you like to nominate? I would like to nominate Bride of Chaotica. Yes! <laughs> what makes Bride of Chaotica the best of all the Captain Proton? Because there's three Captain Proton. I just thought it was cool and unusual and a great way to reminisce. It's very oh, retro. retro. Yeah. Um, I believe it was the third time the Captain Proton uh, Hollow novel program was in use, but I believe it's the one that incorporates most of the crew, wouldn't you say? And who doesn't like seeing Janeway in that out-of-sight outfit? Woo! We usually see her walking around. That's a great pick. I want you to come down and grab something from the front. And computer, let's take Bride of Chaotica. And for now, let's put it in the number three slot. We're just moving it to the other side. We can rearrange stuff later. Come grab something. On this side, sir, what do you think is the best hollow deck slash suite episode in all of Star Trek? Well, two of my favorite characters, Mr. Broccoli <laughs> and uh, the goddess of empathy, Troy, are in this. And that's Hollow Pursuits. Absolutely. Definitely the most fun holodeck that you'll see. It's fun and it's the one that's a little creepy. It's the yeah. one that's a little creepy. Could you imagine going to work and you open a door and you see one of your coworkers just fantasizing about you and your friends gallivanting around a Greco-Roman garden somewhere? It's serious business. Come grab this and absolutely Hollow Pursuits is certainly in the top ten. Um, let's bring it to the other page. Computer, why don't we just put it in the number two spot for now? But, uh, you know, we can move things around later. And on this side, you, sir, what do you think is going to be in the top ten for best hollow deck episodes? I'm going to say a matter of perspectives. 
Yes, a matter of perspectives. A young lawyer in the house. This is good. What do you like about the episode Matter of Perspectives? Um, well, uh, I really like the uh, Jean-Luc quote from it. What was that? Can you remind me? Uh, I forget the exact quote. Um, uh, I'm completely blanking. You can give me the essence of what he said. It doesn't have to be the... But what it is is that he, he's determined to have, have the facts, right? He's, yeah. He, he's using the technology to uh, aid his companion, Riker, who's being erroneously charged with something he didn't do. And if only we had something out there recording everything we did, well, I guess we kind of do because everybody's got phones in their pockets uh, taking pictures of everything. But I think uh, Matter of Perspective is a great choice. Thank you so much for suggesting it. And Computer, why don't we take Matter of Perspective and put it on the other, on the other one also, number six or number seven, something like that. Um, so far, nobody's picked a clunker. We've had good ones so far. What do you think? Let's hear a clunker. <laughs> no. No so, clunkers from you. I'm going to nominate our man Bashir. Yes. It is, it, it's such a Bond movie. It really and it's is. it's so fun. And it incorporates so much of the cast. It does. We get to see something that is really great on Star Trek, which is all of our usual gang trying on a different hat and being somebody that they're normally not. And I can imagine that the actors really liked getting those yeah. kinds of scripts because after six years of doing the same character, they get to try something new. What do you think? Our man Bashir, is that in the top ten? All right, computer, let's grab our man Bashir. Let's put it on the other side somewhere also. And uh, just put it anywhere for now. And then let's see how... And please, come down and grab something. Can we see what the other side looks like? How many choices do we have left? Um... We have f f uh, four more to put, but we can, we can select about an, uh, six or seven more, and then we have to kill a few. So uh, on this side, what do you suggest? Cost of living. Cost of living. Remind us which one is cost of living. The laughing hour with the nude um, wharf and Loxana Troy in the mud bath. Oh, that's the wacky one. Where they go <laughs> this is not like they walk in and there's like a clown bouncing around and stuff. Yeah, cost of living, <laughs> huh? I remember that episode. <laughs> Uh, who likes the mud bath and the wacky clown and Waxana and laughing hour? <laughs> Do we think that's one of the top ten episodes in the holodeck? No. Do we think we should put it on there for now? Do we think we're wasting our time if we put it on there? Do we want to thank this woman for coming up with a great suggestion? I will go to Laughing Hour with you, okay? I would love to uh, chuckle with a clown with you, but I think um, we're not going to put it on the top ten. But we do have some groovy guests. What is that? Is that a shirt or something? Um, maybe it's a towel. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's yours if you want it. Now, on this side, what do we got from you? Okay, so I was going to say the Laughing Hour, but I'm not going to say that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Elementary Dear Data. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh, my gosh. But we already, so you think Elementary Dear Data is better than uh, the other Sherlock Holmes one? Well, because it introduced it, so without that one, you could not have had the second one. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I See? guess that's See? true. All right, we think Elementary Dear Data is going to worthy of the top ten? No. Who says no? Why no? Wow. All it right. Does. That's 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 something. Pulaski sucks. Whoa, Dr. P oh, we have anti-Pulaski <laughs> okay, people Pulaski in the house. Okay, Pulaski does suck, but... Oh, Pulaski sucks, he says. Oof. 
It's getting brutal up here. All right, let me hear it. Do we think we should have it on there just for now? Yes or no? Yes. All those who say yes, let me hear it. Yes. All those who say no, let me hear it. Yes. The, the yes has it by a fraction. So, computer, let's take the other, the first of the... Um, two uh, holodeck uh, Sherlock Holmes episodes. I saw Sherlock Holmes data walking around. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Personally, I think one is enough, but uh, we'll see. Uh, and on this side, what do we got from you, sir? I'm gonna go with a fistful of datas. Yay! Pure and simple, just a fun episode. Brent Spiner gets to spread his wings and do the entire episode himself, basically. And, it's, and we're doing best holo episodes. Yeah. It's probably the best holo episode. Wow. Meh. And what about um, Deanna Troy in a cowboy hat? It didn't help so much, but Wolf helped. <laughs> I thought it was dynamite. I thought that was a great thing. Who thinks Fistful of Data should be in there? I think it's a resounding yes. Let's get Fistful of Data in the other category, please. And um, please come down and grab say, Now, what is this gentleman going to suggest? Something that involves a card game, maybe? Something that involves one of the movies? What do you, you got? No, it'd be cu Cupid. Cupid! Yes. You are not a merry man! Oh, when Wolf said that, I died laughing. <laughs> Who thinks Cupid should be in there? Yeah. Oh, wait, not, not the resounding applause I was expecting. I don't know, let me hear it. All those in favor of Cupid being in the top ten, let me hear it. Come on. All those who don't think Cupid should be in the top ten. No. Wait, is that you're saying no, meaning a double negative? You do want it or you don't want it? What's wrong with you people? Ah, maybe it wasn't on a holiday. It was in Q's hollow life. You know, I hadn't really thought about that. Maybe Q, uh, a computer, is Cupid even on the holodeck? No. Okay, you know what? That was all a test. <laughs> that was a test to see if you were really thinking. You, sir, and me made a mistake. Come, come grab a prize on you. A big round of applause for the guy who loves Cupid. And uh, Cupid doesn't really belong on the list, so good. Uh, I just like seeing Worf in the funny hat. What can I tell you? Um, you, sir. Yeah, what okay. What you got for me? Can we get a little serious? Uh, the holodeck's always a lot of fun, but if we look at It's Only a Paper Moon, we see Nog living in the holodeck for Hollow Sweet for an extended period of time, dealing with his PTSD with Vic Fontaine. It actually makes the holodeck serious for once, and I, I really appreciate that one. Uh, well, it, it is true. I mean, uh, you raise a good point because uh, you'll sometimes see on Star Trek message boards, where I never, ever, ever go. Uh, you'll see some people saying, well, a Voyager is 70 zillion billion light years away. Why would they waste power on keeping a holodeck? Because you need mental health facilities for your crew or they're all going to kill one another. And the, the, the use of the holodeck in the future to keep people sane is very important. And I think that that episode is a really indicative of that mindset. Um, and that is a really good choice. And it's a very serious and important episode and one of the better... Uh, Dominion War episodes. His whole arc is phenomenal. So who thinks that uh, in the top ten it's only a paper moon will wind up? I think that's a pretty resounding yes. So computer, let's get it's only a paper moon on the other uh, side. I am shocked, stunned, and appalled that no one has suggested another hollow sweet episode from DS9. 
I'm wondering if it's going to be coming up soon. Please come grab something from the front. And you, what do you have to suggest? Uh, okay, it's not up there. It's a holodeck technology, but it was not a holodeck. Living Witness. Living Witness. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. The, give me a little... Uh, this is That's the, the one where the captain's... Uh, not the captain. The doctor's backup module is found, and right. he has to rewrite the actual story of what happened with Voyager. Yes. This is the one where the other doctor is like a thousand years in the future. Wait, wait. Time out. Time out. Is that actually a holodeck episode? Thank you. It's, it's hollow technology. It's not like Q. Can I get a uh, computer back there? What do you think about Living Witness? Is yes. that a holodeck episode? Yes! I, I think we, we, we right, want this, it to be. Guy, right. Who <laughs> thinks Living Witness should be in there somewhere? Yeah. Who thinks that's not really a holodeck episode? Yeah. All right, all those in favor of being in there, let me hear it. Yeah! yeah. All those in favor of us striking it, let me hear it. I'm sorry. I don't know. It's a pretty cool episode, but uh, it is. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Put it up there. You know, a minute ago you said no. Now you're saying yes. I was saying yes. I was saying no to saying no. Whoa, this guy's hardcore. Uh, computer, can we make a, 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 a block for Living Witness for now? Do we have the technology to do that? I'm going to make a mental note. Come down and grab something real quick. And because um, we're at. If we include Living Witness, we're at 10. We have a few more we can grab. Um, oh, and you what, do you, what do you have to suggest? Take me out to the Hollow Suite. Yay! But is it too silly? Do we need such a no, lighthearted th this rock? Is, this is why. Because Deep Space Nine, at that point in the series, was doing heavy, 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 heavy. You need something light to break that up. And they hit the nail on the head with that episode. All right. And it's a real game. It's not just a fantasy. It's a real game, not just a fantasy. All those in favor of taking me out to the Hollow Suite. I think that's a resounding yes. Uh, computer, can we get take me out to the Hollow Suite somewhere in our ten? And please come down and grab, grab a uh, prize from the front. And I think that little blue square at the bottom, that is there to represent living witness. Okay. I think we have time for a few more to grab. We have a, a, a young person here who has a suggestion. Encounter at Farpoint. Encounter at Farpoint. Why is that? Because it's the first time they showed the holodeck. It is the first time they showed the holodeck. That's true. And somebody falls in the water, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who thinks Encounter at Farpoint? <laughs> Who wants to give a big round of applause for this guy for suggesting Encounter at Farpoint? All right. Come up and grab something, sir. I don't think your suggestion is going to make it to the top ten, but... Congrats. And we have another small person over here. What do you have to suggest? Fairhaven. Fairhaven. What do you love about Fairhaven? Everybody's in it. Everybody's in it. And it's, it's a nice little Irish town, right? It just seems like a real nice place to go, right? Right? Do you, okay. Who thinks Fairhaven should end up in there? Who hates Fairhaven? Let's put, who likes seeing Captain Janeway have a little time off in Fairhaven, right? Let's get Fairhaven on the board somewhere. Please come on down and grab something. Congratulations. And on this side, what do you have to suggest? I've got a controversial one. All right, hold on. Everybody sit down. Everybody should, calm down. Uh, should we be considering the practical joker for inclusion? <laughs> I mean, it is possibly the first time we see a holodeck. Um, a computer. Yeah. Yeah. The Practical Joker. Tell us, for those in the audience who don't know what The Practical Joker is, 
Tell us what it is. It's an animated episode where the crew gets stuck in what could be a holodeck. It's a recreation room. And we're seeing all sorts of otherworldly phenomena that is created by the computer. Right. Now, when the otherworldly phenomenon end, is it a black room with yellow crisscrosses in it? It is not. So is it the holodeck? <laughs> I don't know. Do people want to see the practical Joker from the animated series in there? Eh. Do people appreciate this guy's intimate knowledge of lore? <laughs> Hats off to you, sir. Because I was considering suggesting it, and they said, eh, nobody wants that one in there. Um, okay, you know, what's interesting is that Dixon Hill hasn't shown up. I saw a guy dressed up like Dixon Hill earlier, and uh, he's... They've got a few of them in here, and one of them's pretty nifty in one of the movies. What do you have to suggest? I'd like to nominate uh, Worst Case Scenario, the Voyager episode. Worst Case Scenario. Tell us a little bit about this one. Okay, so uh, Tuvok had uh, designed a uh, tactical um, scenario in the holodeck so that... Training uh, mission. Yeah, training scenario for uh, cadets or or, uh, ensign uh, uh, security guards. And uh, what I really liked about it, well, it brought back Seska in a very interesting way where she somehow uh, manipulated it so that it turned the tables on whoever ran it up to, you know, a, a certain part right. in the episode. Uh, it was a very kind of uh, loopy pretzel logic episode. Does anybody want to include um, worst case scenario in our top ten? <laughs> <laughs> We think worst case scenario not going to be in the top ten. Can, can, can we can we review the list of the top ten and see if there's one that we'd like to knock out? Well, first we have to get the ones. I, I think it's not going to be there. But thank you very much okay. for playing our game. Come on down and grab something. Dixon Hill for you. Any suggestions? I'm asking you. You're next online. What? Yeah. What, what do you got? Hey, oh, okay. Um, well, obviously we were going to put in a vote for Hollow. Oh, sorry. Obviously we were going to put in a vote for Hollow Pursuits, but it already has one. So I'd like to vouch for His Way. His Way? Which one is, is His that, Way? Uh, the one where Odo and Kira finally... I would also like to vouch for the fact that that is also pretty creepy because... Um, <laughs> um, he, they, they only were able to recognize their feelings for each other or express their feelings for each other because they were tricked into thinking the other was fake. Ah, they would go, they were doing, they were having dates in the house. But it worked. And it, <laughs> <laughs> so you manipulate somebody and they'll, long enough and they'll eventually fall in love. Is that, the, is that really the moral that we want to get out there? Is that I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I thought... Who thinks was... his way from the hollow suite of, the, of Odo and, and Kira falling in love? All right. Well, thanks very much right. for suggesting it. You win some points. Uh, there's some stuff up here. I can't believe we're this far into it and haven't heard about Dixon Hill. What do you got, sir? You're going to hear about him now. Uh-oh. Strap in. There's a lot of Dixon right. Hill to choose from. Which is the best one? It's, it's, it's not an episode, but you got to go with First Contact. Absolutely. I mean. <laughs> this man is correct. Picard, Picard machine guns a Borg. What else do you need? Nothing. It is, as some have said, Picard, it was always a little bit more cerebral as a captain. Didn't get his fingernails dirty. Left that to Riker. Come the movies, machine guns, Alfie Woodard, cool hat. Yep. Who thinks the first contact Dixon Hill should be in there? 
All right, let's, that's great. Come down, grab something. And computer, let's put that in the other side. And now I think we're at 14. And what that means is we're going to have to switch gears now because we're... we're uh, okay, we're, I'm ready for that. Oh. I'm ready. We are going to have to knit three of these. No. This is not a top 13. It's a top 10. Uh, I'm going to ask you. If you have to nix one of these, one oh, of these, have to which kick one, one out? Yeah. Oh, shoot. I thought you were going to ask me to put one up. Um, ooh. No, I love this year. Um, I'm going to say ship in a bottle. You're going to say ship in a bottle. Even that, that guy gave an eloquent uh, message about saying a computer end program is being almost like a cone. You want to nix that one? Well, now I feel bad about it. But, um. <laughs> well, it's ship in a bottle versus uh, elementary, my dear data, right? Which one do you yeah. like better? Okay. Well, okay. We can keep. The, let's let's get rid of elementary, dear data. Who thinks we should get <gasps> rid of elementary, my dear data? No, no, no. This no. is mattering. Who says no? It must remain. Yes. Yes. It must remain. Yes. Well, then, are we going to get rid of ship in a bottle? No. No. We cannot have two data in the dopey oh. Sherlock Holmes hats. That's oh, just not right. Says who? It's just not right. It violates the prime directive. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Who says we have to have both data episodes as Sherlock Holmes? Who says that we need to come and face the music and get rid of one of them? It's up to you. Which one do we nix? I nix elementary data. Nix elementary ideal data. It's done. She had to pull the band-aid off. Come grab this. What do you okay. think we have to nix from what's up there? Well, I'm, I, I'll tell, uh, I'm really sorry you haven't got the Thor up there because I really loved the Thor. Okay, I know, I know nobody else liked it. I loved it. That's I loved awesome. it. Well, it's awesome that you love that. <laughs> That's okay. terrific. Fairhaven. It would have to Whoa. be Fairhaven. I know because even though Is this anti-Irish sentiment. No, from you? no, not at all. No, it's because it, it, beautiful as they are and fun and great that they're not. There isn't a huge moral, wonderful, incredible story. It's just a bit of fun. So Is if you've right? got to get rid of something, Is she right? Do we have to next? Yeah, Fairhaven? just just get rid of the bit of Fairhaven's fluff. gone. Computer next yeah, Fairhaven. Sorry, sorry. Mm. And you in the blue. We have to nix one more. I'm sorry. Uh, where are? I don't see them all. Uh, no, it, we, it's um, take me out to the hall suite. Is top left. Ten eleven. Oh, okay. Um, well, they killed my idea of taking away one of the datas because I was going to take away a fist full of datas because it was too many. But oh, you already too much took data one. For you. Too much, too data. much data. Um, cannot compute. <laughs> <laughs> so I would go with. It's tough. They're all so great. Yeah. Shoot. Um, there is I'm a- sorry. A fistful of datas. Whoa. Whoa. Get out of here. No, I can't. I don't know. Go home. I didn't see all of them. Okay, can I change my answer? Well, all right, here's the question. Okay, can I, okay I'll do this. Yes. I'll, I'll go with public opinion because I've, I've heard it twice already. Yeah. Our man Bashir. Whoa, okay. Yeah. I heard it this twice already. That's my final answer. This is serious business. We have to get it down to 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. We have to get rid of one. Here's the question. Do we get rid of... Do we get rid of our man Bashir? Or do we get rid of Living Witness? Living Witness. Living Witness is a really cool episode. No, it's but not. But it's, it's not even a cool episode? Get out of here. 
guy here. I say it's a cool oh. episode, but I still think it's not technically a holodeck episode. I want a computer. We're going to nix Living Witness. Congratulations for helping us rip the Band-Aid off. I appreciate Thank it. You. Come grab something. And now the big question is we got to start putting these in order. So, computer, let's nix Living Witness. And the one that was on the chopping block a moment ago but got saved was our man Bashir. I'm going to ask you, sir, do you think our man Bashir should be number 10 or do you think it should be higher? I uh, give it like a six. You seven, give it a six. six okay. Yeah. Well, which, which one of these then do you think should be number 10? 10? Uh, take me out to the hollow suite. Well, it's because, right, it's, it's, it's a nice idea, but it's, it's just baseball. It's too much? It's baseball. I am a little bit surprised. I personally thought that that one was a, a, a gunner for the top two or three. Who thinks takes me out to the hollow suite should be number 10? going to be horrified if that's number 10. <clears throat> okay. How about if we make it number 8? 9. Do I hear an 8? Eight? 8.5. Is 8 okay with everybody? 9. Computer, let's get Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite in the number 8 slot. Thank you for uh, you know, grab. There's some uh, what looks like comics up there and other cool stuff. So what I'm going to ask from you, sir, if we got Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite at number 8, What's going to be at number 10? Let's go back to the other page. Uh, we've got Fistful of Datas. We've got the double episode with the Herogen Nazis and Seven of Nine with the sexy long hair. We've got Matter of Perspective, a legal drama, Bride of Chaotica. What's the least of, for you, the least interesting on this bunch? Uh, it, was, it was popular, but I'm going to say a Matter of Perspective as oh. 10. Okay. <clears throat> I heard an I agree over there. Do we think that's number 10, a Matter of Perspective? Yeah. <clears throat> Com computer, somebody's got to be number 10 and Matter of Perspective is going to be number 10. I, somebody's got to be number 10, I know. This woman's about to cry. She's about to collapse on the carpet and cry. Uh, sir, thank you very much for your help. Please come grab something. And uh, I, I very much like the thaw as well, wherever she is. Just the so thaw. You, oh, there you are. There you are. Right. Yeah. Two can go get a drink and talk about the thaw. You'll be the only two here talking about the thaw. Um, all right, so we have a number two and a number eight. I liked the idea of Killing Game at number five, right? That one feels like right down the middle for me. So, computer, can we put Killing Game at number five? And that kind of bisects the list, which means that we still have to come up with a number nine. So, Hollow Pursuits. Somebody's saying Hollow Pursuits at number nine. You, that one's a classic. That's bar. That's our first Barclay episode. That's all that. It's creepy. I'm, I'm, life is creepy sometimes. I agree that Hollow Pursuits. Do we think Hollow Pursuits is number nine? No. Or is Hollow Pursuits number four? No. What number is Hollow Pursuits? Nine. Two. Two. Hollow Pursuits is going to end up at number nine. Let's see how it looks there on the list. I hear some applause. Computer, let's see what... I don't know. That's looking all right to me. She look, they're, they're looking at each other. All right. Let's, so let's go back there. What do you think is going to end up being number seven? I heard a lot of people didn't seem that enthused about First Contact, which surprised me. Number seven. Is it First Contact or Fistful of Datas? Fistful of all those who say first contact, let me hear it. Yeah. All those who say fistful of data is at seven, let me hear it. Yeah. All right, computer, that's fistful of data is at number seven. Yeah. 
And I think, therefore, uh, we would assume that first contact would be number six. Does that feel right for everybody? It is a great moment, but it is just a moment. It's not the whole thing. So I think number six feels right for first contact because it's one of the highlights of the film. So, computer, can we get first contact at number six? And then we want to look at the board. Um, what's that? Well, we're going to see. We're going to find out. You, there's always twists at the end. She's, she's certain Paper Moon is going to be number one, but I'm not so sure. Let's go back to the other side. We have to figure out what's going to be number four. Is it going to be Our Man Bashir or Ship in a Bottle? All those who think Ship in a Bottle is number four, let me hear it. All those who think it is Our Man Bashir at number four, let me hear it. He's very handsome and he's very, uh, very dapper, but he's going to come in fourth place. Let's put Our Man Bashir in at number four. Okay. So this brings us down to Paper Moon. Ship in a Bottle, or Bride of Chaotica? Bride is not number one. Bride is number three? Are we all in agreement that of these three, Bride of Chaotica is number three? Computer, let's get Bride of Chaotica number three. And now let's all take a deep stretch because it looks like a battle royale for number one. Paper Moon's number one. Whoa, whoa, wait. Computer needs to get ready before we decide. All right, everybody take a deep breath because you're going to have to really yell for this one. Everybody who thinks Ship in a Bottle is number two, let me hear it. If you yell boo, you're still yelling for that one. All those who think Paper Moon is number two, let me hear it. You you, You realize that if you're shouting for Paper Moon at two... Yes. You're putting ship in a bottle at number one. This concept has come together. Okay, one more time. In the number two slot, is it ship in a bottle? Yes. In the two slot, is it Paper Moon? Yes. Computer, it is official. Paper Moon is number two, and ship in a bottle is number one. I told you. This guy told me. Uh, where's the guy who nominated first? Computer and program. So there you go. People like data in the dopey hat, huh? All right. That's what makes Star Trek wonderful, is that is a huge universe that we all love, even if some of us disagree about certain angles of it. Word up to me, ship in a bottle would be number 76. But be that as it may, I want everybody to congratulate themselves. We did it. We have a top 10 hollow episodes, and I am going to take a photo... And uh, then, once I do that, it is official. Uh, This is great. So, thanks for coming. And we have some other programming coming up. Computer, can we see every day at noon who's been playing trivia so far? None of you have. Well, guess what? Starting tomorrow at noon, this... Oh, Gregor. How you doing, Gregor, my friend? You were the ones who voted against Fairhaven, right? uh, uh, So, uh, every day at noon, um, we're doing Trek trivia. I think this crowd would love it. You can sign up starting at 11. It's in the other room, the the, the, um, third stage, the CBS all-access stage. And there are prizes involved. And the big winner, uh, it's four rounds of four, and then the final winner gets a really nice bag full of stuff. Uh, uh, So that's great. What else have we got coming up? Tonight at 6.30, also next door at the CBS all-access stage, the big contest. Those of you who want to scream your guts out 
and pretend like you're William Shatner. You can even tear your shirt if you want to. This is your opportunity. Um, also, great programming tomorrow at, four, at uh, 4.45, cue at 6 p.m. I think we might have that backwards. Check, check the, uh, the brochure. We're doing the first ever Starfleet Academy Spelling Bee. Who can spell Aubergenois? Because that's level one. If you can spell Aubergenois, you can play. It's going to get a lot more difficult. Who can spell the Kach? So that's happening tomorrow, the Spelling Bee, and then also all day at stage three, uh, me and some of my other uh, um, companions from StarTrek.com, uh, we're interviewing actors, authors, cosplayers, and Trexperts. Uh, a little bit less formal than on the main stages, half hour, little fireside chats happening all week. Um, and then author signings. Today, David Max at three, Kevin Dilmore is at four. <coughs> this is at the Away Mission booth in the uh, merch room. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's level B4 is what it is. And uh, Friday, we've got uh, Dayton Ward, Ethan Siegel, who is, of course, a well-known astrophysicist who wears a kilt and has a wild mustache. Uh, Rob Perlman, uh, Kirsten Beyer from Discovery. And then Saturday, Joel Harlow, the Academy Award-winning makeup and special effects designer. So please come by for those signings. And, of course, remember to listen to Engage. The official Star Trek podcast, which is available on StarTrek.com slash engage, or on iTunes. It's free, and you get to hear my beautiful voice in your ears when you download the uh, official Star Trek podcast. So thanks again, and we're going to be doing another One Trek Mind panel on Sunday. We're going to be talking about our favorite uh, roles that are not Star Trek played by Patrick Stewart. So get your Patrick Stewart hat on, and we'll be doing that on Sunday. Thanks very much, everybody. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. How's everybody doing out there? Oh my God, it's been, I want everybody who can, if you are able to, please rise, give yourself a little stretch. You've been in those seats for a while. We want to get the energy up because we've got some really interesting guests. I see some people exiting. Fools they are. They don't realize what exciting information is going to be coming out of this panel. Uh, so let's take a moment now to collect ourselves. All right, we'll give everybody a moment to collect themselves. And we're going we're gonna to be bringing out some cool people. I would like to know from you out there in the audience, who out there is a reader of Star Trek novels? Who out there is a reader of Star Trek comics? What would you say if the novels and comics that are going to be coming out soon, starting in just a few months, were fully integrated with the Discovery Writer's Room, what could they tell us? What nuggets of information that we didn't learn earlier are we going to learn today and the fools that are leaving are not going to hear? We're going to find out. And we're going to kick it off. We're going to start with the person who has written more Star Trek comics than any other writer in history. Star Trek Las Vegas 2017, please welcome Mr. Mike Johnson. Yeah. 
The turbo lift that took you straight up. Awesome. Come grab a seat. Right here. Comic, comics don't go at the end? Comics go right close to my heart. That's where they go. Uh, now, the woman who is the editor of all the Star Trek comics for IDW Publishing, not just the forthcoming Discovery, but everything you've read for years and years and years, please welcome Sarah Gatos. Huzzah. Hello. Now... I would like to introduce a very special man, uh, a New York Times best-selling author with more than 30 Star Trek novels to his name. Please welcome Mr. David Mack. Howdy. And finally, this gentleman is the editor of every Star Trek novel published each year from Simon & Schuster. Please welcome Ed Schlesinger. Uh, now, as I mentioned uh, earlier, if you were here uh, three hours and uh, six minutes ago, uh, the, what's happening now is very new and very unique to Star Trek and to fandom in general by having uh, what, what I meant, what we could describe as an integration between comics, books, and the writer's room on the new show. So she was out here earlier. Please welcome back Kirsten Beyer. And uh, we're trying to figure out what the exact name for Kirsten's linchpin role in this should be. Admiral, certainly Admiral, would be the rank. Yeah, absolutely. Admiral of, I think, trans-narrative mm -hmm. properties. Does that sound good? That sounds way better than whatever the last one was. <laughs> Kirsten Beyer, Admiral of trans-narrative properties. How about it? So uh, some in the audience uh, today uh, may not be as familiar with some of the people on stage. Kirsten, we heard from earlier, but I want to speak to some of the others here um, about your walk with fandom. What led you to this point? When did you become a Star Trek fan? Mike Johnson, you've written more Star Trek comics than anyone. You got Captain Kirk and Hal Jordan of the Green Lantern Corps together. Yes. This man is a nerd sitting next to me. This is an honest-to-God Star Trek nerd. Absolutely. When, when did you discover your nerdish tendencies as a young lad? Uh, Tell me your walk with fandom. When did you become a Star Trek fan? I became a Star Trek fan before I actually knew what Star Trek was. I had the big um, Mego action figures with the cloth uh, uniforms and the bright blue phasers. And those were, uh, those were like the first toys I remember. And then it was like, oh, they're on TV. <laughs> That's crazy. They made a TV show out of these toys. That's awesome. So that was my first, uh, and, and Spock was my guy. <laughs> awesome. Sarah. This is going to be very embarrassing to admit. So I'm a TNG baby, and I was of the perfect age that Wes Crusher was extremely appealing to me because <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to make out with him or be him. Wow. Um, so basically, I just wanted to be on that damn ship having the kind of experiences that he was having. Um, so that was all it took for me to just go way down the rabbit hole with Trek um, and find some incredible role models in both the cast and the characters that were on the show. That's all it took. So a rainbow sweater is what does it for you. Hey, you know, I'd wear that sweater. I'm into it. 
You know, it's funny. I mean, I, I also was, you know, I, I was discovering original series and Next Gen around the same time, around the same age. It was, it was years. I was an adult until I realized that Wesley was like the not cool character. Oh, I had no idea that there was this whole part of fandom that disliked him. Completely clueless. I was like, yeah. Cool 13-year-old kid knows what to do with isolinear chips. All right. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. David Mack, well, tell us about your love affair with Wesley Crusher. Uh-oh. No comment. Uh, but you're, you're, when did you first find uh, your love of Star Trek? Well, as a child of the early 70s, I grew up with the original series in syndicated reruns. Uh, so I probably started watching uh, the original series over and over again in early afternoons. Uh, I think the earliest episode I remember was Who Mourns for Adonis? Uh, but Star Trek imprinted on me at a young age and sort of provided me with a template for what I thought the future was supposed to look like. It was supposed to be humanity getting over its ego, getting over its differences, over petty problems, and learning to work together in peace and to accept each other as we are. Uh, and that is a dream that resonated with me and informed a lot of my choices. And through college and beyond, uh, I turned from Star Trek fan to Star Trek pro. And uh, it's been a wonderful way to live. Awesome. And Ed, as the editor, month to month, there's another Star Trek book coming out. Tell us when you first encountered Trek as a, as a young lad. Um, probably would would I would have to mirror David Mack's um, assessment of the of the history of that. It was um, again in the 70s when Star Trek was in syndication. If any of you are from New York City, you'll remember Channel 11 WPIX six days a week. There you go. Exactly six days a week, 6 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Never on Sunday, which was always a disappointment. The Devil in the Dark was the first episode that I remember vividly. A few years later, a friend of mine, his sister, um, had left the frozen pizza in the oven for an hour and made horta pizza. I remember it. So, but it was also the integration of friendship when you got into when you got into high school and there were like-minded people who then would, if, you, if the New York City people remember, there was TV 55 that had the unedited um, original series episodes. Um, and then there were the Timescape books from Pocket Books all the way back, starting with the Entropy Effect, where you realized that these could be effectively feature films with an unlimited budget. Yeah. And it just went on from there. Very cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right, so I think everybody here has proven their, pon their bona fides. I think they all passed the test. Kirsten, uh, question for you. We've been joking around about the special linchpin role you have, this, uh, as we now call you, the Admiral. When, uh, so many heads blocking us. Uh, Sorry, lean back. that's me. Kirsten, lean forward. This, um, this role, this was not something that you set out to do when you first started walking discover, working on Discovery. It just sort of evolved and said, holy cow, we have an opportunity. Tell us a little bit about how this role got created. And Yeah, so I was hired uh, on Discovery as a staff writer, which is basically just the... Uh, lowest man on the totem pole in the writer's room um, on staff, which is great because this is my first time writing on a TV show. Uh, and shortly after that, I mean, I feel like we were maybe six to eight weeks in, um, I started talking with John Van Sitters, who is uh, CBS's um, VP of Consumer Products, I believe is the actual title, right. about um, the fact that Discovery was going to have a number of different 
tie-in properties. Because I had come from that side of the world already and knew uh, intimately what happens when you write a book and all the production issues that go along with that, uh, it made sense to him that I would be a great person to sort of be a liaison between the publishing world and the world of the show, which sounded really simple when they suggested it to me. Um, <laughs> less, so, less so now, but, uh, but still something that I'm so uh, excited and grateful that they asked me to do because uh, it's given me the opportunity to bring together these two things that I'm so passionate about. The, the folks that I've been working with for a long time on the book side and, and now the folks that I work with on the series. So, yeah. Awesome. So let's drill down a little bit and talk about what's going to be coming up later this year. There's going to be stuff that's going to be coming out pretty much concurrent with uh, the first episodes of Discovery. Now let's uh, talk first to Sarah and Mike. The Discovery comic is going to be, so I'm told, Uh-oh. about the Klingons. This is true. About Chukovma. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you know, Mike? Yeah, I knew yeah, that. Yeah, you knew that, okay. Tell us yes. a little bit about what the heck this is all about. Why do we need a comic about Tukovma? Is it perhaps a little bit about his past? Maybe. Um, so uh, for, you, for those of you that are not familiar with IDW Star Trek comics, um, IDW Publishing has been doing Star Trek comics for many years and we've developed this really wonderful relationship. So of course, when we heard about Discovery, I was like, dibs. And um, of course we had to work it out. And because we have this great relationship, the access that we're getting to the show to create these comics that are really integral into fleshing out the backstory of some of these key characters, it's unheard of. And I do a lot of licensed comics. Um, so I'm very, very excited to um, present this comic book miniseries to you guys. The first issue is out in October. And Mike, you want to tell a little bit? Yeah, Kirsten, just, just yell out, stop, yeah. if yeah. I say. Okay. So yeah, it's, uh, we're going to be focusing on the Klingons, uh, Tukovma in particular. Um, I don't know. Um, what Mike can is, I say? Mike is co-writing it with I'm Kirsten. co-writing it with Kirsten, which is great. And, and we're missing um, a very important part of our team, which is artist Tony Shastine, yes. um, who is an incredible Trek artist um, who's been doing our comics for a while. Uh, and we literally couldn't do this without him. And as you guys saw when you saw the um, costuming for the Klingons, the poor man, um, he really has his work come out, cut out for him, but he's the best person that could do this on Earth. Yeah, yeah, well, well cl- uh, comics are a visual medium, so you know what? Let's actually see, for the first time in Ooh. history, the cover of the forthcoming Star Trek Discovery comic from IDW looks like... Drumroll, please. Oh, they can see it. it, but we can't. can't see it. I guess it looks great. Yeah. <laughs> it does look great. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yay. That's Tony. Oh, there my God. There That's, go. uh, there's our guy. There's Tacoma. He and looks mean and nasty. What's you know, going on? He's multifaceted. Why do I want to read about this guy? He scares me half to death. That's, those are the best stories. <laughs> and uh, taking a cue from the previous panel, yeah. um, in the way that they were talking about Klingon culture and how you're seeing that in the designs for the show, uh, we're building out the characters uh, in the Klingon world uh, in these comics. So uh, we... Uh, can't wait, can't wait to show you. When are they coming out? So. The first issue is out in October, probably towards the end of the month. 
And uh, just to sing Tony's praises again, you know, the, the last panel they talked about how there's 80 people on staff. This is one man outputting 20 pages of comics a month for you guys, and they're gorgeous pages. So I just, I can't wait for you all to see them. And I have to sing Kirsten's praises because uh, having her be such a great partner and getting us access to all the materials we need and making us feel like a, a really integral part of the show. You are a really integral part Aww. of the show. I mean, they, they talk about this as an unusual circumstance, and I can't really speak to that because I've never done comic books before. But I couldn't have better guides into this world than Sarah and Mike. They've been absolutely amazing and so patient with me as I learn all of this stuff. But, you know, we were talking in the last panel a little bit about how one of the things we're trying to do in Discovery is to present these issues from multiple sides. So we don't have heroes and villains, we have individuals with competing agendas, right? And we take the opportunity as best we can to show you both sides of the stories that we're telling. In the same way, um, we want to be able to find, take the story opportunities that we're just frankly not gonna have time to cover in the show and go as deep into those in the various formats as we possibly can. So um, it's not that you have to read these things in order to understand the story that you're seeing. Yeah, you do, you have to read them. But the story will be incredibly enhanced when you do. Um, this is unlike any other tie-in property I have ever worked on in this way. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, and, I mean, is, is it challenging writing for what are ostensibly the villains of the show, or do you not even consider these guys the villains? I don't think of them as villains at all. Yeah, I don't think of them as villains. I think, I think it's, to Kirsten's point, it's just a different point of view, an angle on what you're seeing in, in the show. Well, it's like what Akiva was saying earlier, that uh, a, a nuanced look at world events is, is likely what I think Discovery is all about. I said with no actual knowledge, having never actually seen any of it. Yeah, but, no, um, I, that's very, very fair. And also an understanding, a really deep understanding of what informed this individual's perspective, if he's still up there, um, you know, is... is, is we have an opportunity to give you that that we could never give you in any other way. Very and that's cool. why comics are so awesome, is that we're able to find those corners, like someone was talking about earlier, zoom in, zoom in, dissect a little thing that, that like Kirsten said, they wouldn't have time for yeah. in, in a TV series. And if you saw how cool Tecovma looked on that cover, a reminder again, the Discovery exhibit down the hall is going to be open tomorrow, and pretty much that groovy thing with the rubies on the top, which probably has a name, is in that room, and you're going to see it tomorrow, and it's bananas. Yeah, at San Diego Comic-Con, I literally went to the gallery and like took 3D <laughs> videos for Tony to have them, because you know we have all this reference, but seeing it in person is like mind-blowing, and he probably looked at them and cried. It's really cool, and it's very well lit also. So, and also, just FYI, um, Sarah and, and Mike are going to be back on... Tomorrow morning at 10.45 on the secondary stage, the Forrest Kelly Theater at 10.45 to talk about everything else that's happening in comics, not just Discovery. You know, we're still celebrating the Green Lantern stuff, and there's a new, it's called uh, the Idic Challenge or something, or the Idic, what is it yeah, called? Yeah, we'll talk more tomorrow. About yeah, we'll talk about it tomorrow. I don't want to talk about IDIC. it. IDIC. Yeah, let's just call IDIC. Okay, groovy. Now, um, very exciting. In addition to... Uh, you know, comic books, there's uh, books without pictures. 
Just word books. <laughs> the boring kind. <laughs> the boring kind. So uh, we have David and Ed here about the Discovery book. Now, I just got, it's so hot off the presses that it's not even on paper. I have a text. I am going to read to you the back flap of the forthcoming Discovery book. Are you prepared for this? Are you seated? Here it comes. You ready? on the title? Yes. <laughs> David, what is the title of the book you worked on? Desperate Hours. Star Trek Discovery, colon, Desperate Hours. Yes, because you can never have too many colons. Is it Star Trek, colon, Discovery, colon, Desperate Hours? Probably <laughs> in metadata it is. Awesome. <laughs> I would prefer to see it with an end dash, but that's confusing to the uh, Amazon system. All right, dig this. And tell me if, uh, if you disagree with any of this. But... <clears throat> Aboard the starship Shenzhou, Lieutenant Michael Burnham, a human woman raised and educated among Vulcans, is promoted to acting first officer. But if she wants to keep her job, she must prove to Captain Philippa Georgiou that she deserves to have it. She gets her chance when the Shenzhou must protect a Federation colony that is under attack by an alien, excuse me, by an ancient alien vessel that has surfaced from the deepest fathoms of the planet's dark, uncharted sea. As the menace from this mysterious vessel grows stronger, Starfleet declares the colony expendable in the name of halting the threat. To save thousands of lives, thousands of innocent lives, Burnham must infiltrate the alien ship, but to do so, she needs to face the truth of her troubled past and seek the aid of a man she has tried to avoid her entire life until now. Everybody's antenna just went up. Who is that man? What is this thing she's talking about? When is this set? When is this book set? The uh, story of Desperate Hours takes place one year before the events of the first episode of Star Trek Discovery and approximately one year after the Enterprise's first mission to Talos IV, as seen in the original unaired pilot, The Cage, and then later in the two-part episode, The Menagerie. All right, so everybody got that in their heads? Everybody got the timeline? Or more precisely, May 2255. <laughs> <laughs> um, and guess what? We have something that we can reveal here before we talk about it further. Uh, you cannot judge a book by its cover, but sometimes you might as well. Oh, come on. David, you want to... Cue this gentleman. Let's I'll let Ed do it. All right. Well, for the first time ever, you dear people are seeing the cover for Star Trek Discovery, Desperate Hours by David Mack. Ta-da. There nope. it is. Hey. And hey. Is it there it is. It's up. There it hey. is. Hey. There we go. And this is just on the face of it. This is different from a lot of the Trek books. Usually a Trek book is a ship, is a star scene. Yep. And this is the character. This is Michael Burnham looking, looking right at me, looking right into my soul. He's looking at me. Not an unattractive woman, I will say. Very attractive. And David, your name is right there on her rear end. How about that? You've branded yourself right there on Michael Burnham's rear end. No uh, this, is, this, is, um, this is a hell of a thing. But in all sincerity, how does it feel for you getting on the ground floor of new characters that you know are going to be pivotal to Star Trek for decades to come? Question for me, or it's a question for you, me, for David, for David, for you. Oh, there you go. Uh, it was actually very exciting because I got to work very closely with Kirsten mm -hmm. and with other members of the Discovery writing staff. 
They have kept me in the loop throughout the season on all of the scripts, the story development, where everything is going. So I, I got to be involved in some of the early stages. I got to give some feedback via Kirsten. And there were a few false starts, but eventually it allowed us to collaboratively create this story, uh, which I would like to note uh, sprung from a direct request from Brian Fuller, the co-creator of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, he basically asked that we write a book on this basic premise. And so that's where that came from, and then the uh, development, uh, getting to know the characters' voices through the scripts, because right. I haven't seen any filmed material. Right. Uh, most of it wasn't filmed at the time that I had to write the book. Mm -hmm. So I uh, had to work strictly from the scripts and try to assess what the characters' voices and personas were just from the printed page. And with Kirsten's help, I was able to do that. And from the feedback that I've heard yeah. from Kirsten and uh, from other members of the room via Kirsten, they feel that the book is an accurate rendering of the characters' voices as you will see them in the original two-part pilot. Right. Very cool. Now, there are a lot of questions about Michael Burnham's background, mm -hmm. childhood. Mm -hmm. I know you don't want to spoil too much. Uh, there are snipers on the roof that will get you if you spoil too well, much. Well, there's, there's, there's plenty of facts that are already out there. I mean, right. call the police. It's already out there. <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of people have heard the story by now that uh, Burnham is the, quote-unquote, adoptive sister of uh, Spock, you know, the ward of Sarek and Amanda. I mean, that's pretty much out there at this yep, point. Exactly. Um, so I won't lie to you. That does factor into the book. Uh, there may also be a situation where, as the crisis on the planet gets out of hand, help needs to be rendered by another Federation starship with which fans may have a passing familiarity. Mm. <laughs> so you're telling me that those who love and appreciate the deep mythos and lore of Star Trek will find things in this prequel novel that are touch points with other characters, scenarios that they are familiar with. Mm. That is exactly what I'm telling you. The <laughs> real challenge in that regard was to craft something that was faithful to both the new vision mm. that is uh, embodied by Star Trek Discovery, while at the same time remaining faithful to what we know of Star Trek from the past, and finding a way to merge those two visions, mm -hmm. which can seem very uh, at odds in terms of their aesthetic. Right. Um, it will be up to the readers to determine how well or how poorly uh, I accomplished that task, but I tried to balance those two competing interests and write a story that shows love and respect for the original series, the classic 1960s Star Trek, while at the same time reflecting the uh, ethos and the ideas that animate the new Star Trek Discovery TV series. Awesome. So, a uh, question for you, and Ed, and Kirsten yep. also. I know that in uh, the past, a lot of times with Star Trek novels, uh, there's been sort of an unspoken rule of uh, you got to leave the toys where you find them. Uh, if you're going to kill, uh, you know, you can't kill Captain Janeway without wow. making a big stink. <laughs> or you got to bring her back yeah. eventually. Maybe we'll talk uh, about that tomorrow. But, yeah. but, but, so, um, but <laughs> I, soon. I, I understand that... Um, some of that attitude has been a little bit relaxed in what we're talking about 
for all of us uh, on this. Is that something that, Kirsten, you can elaborate a little bit on? or The notion that the toys have to go back in the box at Correct. the end of this. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the collaborative nature of this process, it's, um, we're able to go farther, to take bigger risks, to push the boundaries a lot in that regard. Uh, the danger is that at some point way in the future, somebody will come up with an amazing story idea that will be incompatible with what we've already established. And just like always, the series is gonna take priority. But the hope is that we can carve out these places where that are safe and that we can continue to protect because as much as possible, we want this to be one integrated universe, right? Right, right. And, and that's something that we really strive for you know, particularly um, editorially, not only from a collaborative standpoint, but also, as Dave mentioned, you a nod to the original series, but also maintaining the fact that this was a new vision, but integrating the storyline so that everyone would be satisfied. Yeah. Uh, we are gonna take a few moments to take some questions from the audience. If you wanna line up for questions, uh, I think we have one person over there. If people want to line up over here, if you want to get some questions in, we have, uh, especially because... Uh, we'll see if we can answer. All and while yeah. people are so, uh, queuing up, I would just yeah. like to take this opportunity to mention that Desperate Hours is scheduled for publication on Tuesday, September 26th, just two days after the premiere of the show. Correct. So you're going to want to come out of that two-part pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're going to have a lot of questions about Michael Burnham's history, her past, her relationship with Sarek, et cetera. And you're gonna have a bit of a wait for episode three. That would be a great time <laughs> yeah. to pick up Desperate Hours and fill that gap. You will, you will just I'm be just saying. frothing. Wow, I need to know more. I cannot wait the rest of the week. You won't have to. In fact, you don't even have to. You can just hit a button and it zips down to your various, uh, your pad, and you can read it there. Okay, so a question over here to our right. What have you got? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time that we've really got, as you mentioned, an integration of stories and comp books and comics with the actual current series. So is that going to mean that now these books and comics will be canon? Nope. Yes. You, you kind of put yourself in a box when yeah. you do that, right? Okay. So that the expectation becomes that everybody is going to be bound by this strict thing. And we don't really want to do that. It feels like you're setting yourself up for failure if you do that. Um, it's more that we're doing what we can to make sure that these stories all fit together moving forward to the point where when these are done, before they're done, I sit with the showrunners, we talk through the stories in great detail so they know the material that we're covering, and then once they're done, the entire staff gets a look at everything so right. that the stories that we've created get integrated into their brains as part of it, right. right? So it's not that these worlds have next to nothing to do with one another, which is often the case. Right. And Kirsten, you, you, you mentioned to me about talking to the actors. Right. about some of these stories. And oh, yeah. Just how no, they when, appreciate. Yeah, no, when we um, started filming, um, several of the Klingon actors in particular who were very curious about just Klingon culture and what could I tell them about the history of the Klingons and so on, 
because of the work that we had done creating the comic, I was able to say, well, not only is there all of this stuff, but by the way, here is an entire version of your history and your backstory and how you got to it. So they were just so happy to have that. And it was great that we could give it to them. I mean, you always flesh out this stuff to a certain degree in the room when you're creating the characters, but this just takes it to an entirely different level. And so they, in their performances, are actually integrating this material as well, which is pretty right. cool. And I think you highlighted a really interesting thing is that we're able to do this right around when the show's coming out. Right. A lot of the times there's quite a bit of a lag, especially in book publishing, a big lag. Um, so we're in such a unique and lucky and wonderful position right now, and I'm, we're so thankful. Right, and, and I want to also emphasize, like for example, when you're bringing in a writer, whether it's novel or comic or what have you, they're not working in a vacuum, is what Kirsten's trying to say. It's not, for example, David Mack's vision of Star Trek Discovery. It's a completely collaborative and integrated vision of what the overall picture what Star Trek Discovery is. I think we have a question over here on the left. Yes, in regard to the literature, uh, what sort of workload do you get as far as submissions during a year for each of the different genre, the, the original series, Next Generation and that, and what do you look for when you're uh, reviewing some of these novels that have been submitted to you? Um, I mean, this is a more, not really a discovery question, but I mean, but a general question, in other words, for, for the Star Trek publishing program, in, in other words. I mean, generally speaking, it's, uh, it, it more is really ideas, genera ideas generated by you know, a trusted group of writers who have been doing this for a long time. We generally don't take submissions in terms of the, um, and I would probably say the same for the, for the comics uh, and the comic side as well. Um, effectively, there, there are um, um, certain visions for the different series that are plotted out and thought out um, by this trusted group of writers. That's why you do see some of the same names you know, over and over again. But primarily, though, we're not really set up for um, a kind of open-ended submission process. Yeah, it's but, tricky because you don't want to yeah. take people's ideas and stuff like that or be accused of it. And plus, this guy will find you and kill you. Yeah, yeah, it just pesters them. Like, no, yeah. no one else gets you know, to do it. We, and, and also, there, there will be uh, separate panels that will be talking about this, this as well. If you want to come to the, the publishing panel tomorrow, as well, we can get into that further. But um, yeah. um, OK, you. we have a question down on this end. Hello, everyone. I'm Bruce Gibson from Literary Treks Podcast. Most of you have been on the show. Hi, Bruce. Hello, hey, Bruce. <laughs> uh, one thing I was just wondering, this is a unique situation now because you are collaborating between the novels, the comics, and the TV series. So considering how creative you guys are as writers, have you inspired the TV writers in the Discovery series? Ooh, Not at all. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's actually been really funny because we have so much going on in the room that the tendency is to try to keep it uh, separate except in those instances where we're specifically engaging on this topic, right? But sometimes I just can't help myself. We'll be going down a certain path mm. and I'll be like, but see, here's this super cool thing that we developed for this novel or for this comic or whatever. and. In more than one instance, it has been like, oh, well, can we play with that toy? And um, that's ended up actually finding its way into the show. So, um, yeah. Now, of course, Did I tell you we were lucky or what? 
Yeah. Now, the, but the downside challenge of this for the writers is that normally, once you have submitted an outline and it's been approved, you're able to start writing, and sure. that's a several-month process, and you don't have to hear from everybody until then. In this case, as we have gone along and things have changed, once something comes along in the room that I know is going to impact these guys, I have to call them or reach out to them right away and be like, yeah, that thing we were doing, we're not going to be able to do that now for these five reasons. And then they hate me for a minute, and then they remember how cool it is that we're actually trying to do this, and we all, you know, get back to work. Can I tell them the Gagarin story? Sure. Here's a fun little example Here of how this happens in the room and affects your plans. I had worked with Kirsten on the outline. She knew exactly what I was doing. She had all my details in hand. And part of what I depended upon Kirsten to do was to A, steer the room away from doing things that would necessitate me having to make changes in the book, and also to uh, warn me if things were coming down the pike that would require changes. And then, lo and behold, who is it who uh, uses the same name for a starship that I used and then completely contradicts my details? <laughs> Me. <laughs> Nicely done. It wasn't on purpose. No, no, we figured the name got planted in her subconscious and came out during the scripting exactly. process. But the happy ending was that because I had to change the name uh, from Starship Gagarin to something else, I did some research. And because of the feminist themes that run through Star Trek Discovery and wanting to honor that, I did some research and ended up renaming that ship the Tereshkova in honor of the first human woman ever to walk in space, which was a Russian commune, uh, cosmonaut. So it turned out to be a happy accident. Happy accident. Well, one of the great things about having Kirsten as our admiral is that um, she's walked the walk, and a lot of times when you have uh, studios or the people behind a, a film or television dealing with the ancillary works, they don't really understand them or they don't appreciate them. Mm. And Kirsten has the love for them and protects them and she's our mama bear. Yeah. Well, it's not just the love, it's the sympathy because she's yeah. been in the trenches. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Definitely. I mean, as, uh, she knows our pain. You know, you're best-selling Star, uh, Star Trek author in your own right to begin with. So when you bring that to the table and then obviously bring that to the room and that just elevates all of the storytelling. That is the goal for that sure. Is the, that is indeed. Awesome. I think we have a question over here on this end. Sir. Hey, everybody. Very excited about the uh, cross-platform game you all are playing. I hope that it bleeds off the screen into as many medias as humanly possible Thank beyond you. just the books and the comics. But my question is about the comics. Will this Discovery series be like your Kelvin series, where it's ongoing and bridges you between seasons, or is it a limited event type thing? That's a good question. It is a good question. Um, my plan as it stands is that uh, it'll be a series of mini-series, which is kind of a confusing way to say it, but I want to be able to do some targeted stories on some different subjects. So like Boldly Go right now, for example, is at what issue? 10? So it'll, it'll be shorter than that, but hopefully concurrent ones. So the first, this first one with Takovma is uh, four issues. And then we've batted around a couple of ideas for what the next four-issue one would be, and hopefully we get to do a series of minis. So, Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, on this side. Sure. Hi. Uh, my question is, being I've read the books going back to the original days, Spock's World, and going way back when before all that, Thank you. I hear what you guys are talking about, and I made some notes here because I'm thinking we have all these different times with the Vulcans, Vulcans been destroyed, Vulcan, and all these things going on, the Romulans. 
I'm almost wondering if Discovery's gonna bring Borg in there in the third episode at this point in time, because the Borg had been around forever anyway, and I'm just wondering, when you guys sit down and talk, how do you guys figure out where you wanna go because there's so much material out there, I can't imagine getting anything really clear. Um, I mean, the easiest way to answer a question like that is um, something that Dave brought up before. One thing with Discovery that we've been really blessed with is the opportunity to have access, non-disclosure of course, but access to the scripts as, they, as they're being written. And so that way we're able to take a look at where we've been and where things are going and fitting stories around what's to come and what would be integrated into the Discovery universe with also a nod to the fact that it's a precursor to the original series. And given the fact that there have been, again, you have, you have novels that effectively become apocryphal because Star Trek Enterprise came along. You know, so, but, but what we have in this case, I think, is a fact that the, the stories are being very much integrated from the past to the present. I think I can, I, I think I can also allay some of your concerns by simply saying that the storytelling, both on the show and in the tie-ins related to Discovery, uh, we're not finding ideas by simply strip-mining canon for cool toys to play with. Right. What we're looking for are stories that are grounded in the experience of the characters, in challenging their perceptions, challenging their beliefs, putting them into good, uh, basically good faith conflict with each other, where two people mm -hmm. of good conscience uh, of both of good intention can disagree about how to get something done uh, and that drives conflict. So we're, we're trying to build stories that are about exploring ideas, about exploring the human condition, right. uh, about, about yeah. exploring life. Yeah, yeah, and specifically revealing character. Oh no, right. I'm not looking for anything revealed. My concern was right. after going from day one, because I've seen it since day one, it's just trying to figure out where this is going and it's just been a little hard to understand. Okay. It will all become clear. It will all become clear. You'll see the story, sir. <laughs> I Definitely. think with a lot of these, um, as an editor, I try and approach things uh, and divorce myself from the situation as much as possible and mm. put myself in the mind of a reader, uh, someone watching the show, and yep. what would they naturally be curious about? Mm. And that's where we're all like, ooh, that, let's do that. Yeah. Well, one of the great things about this project is, and David, you might have found this, when you're writing... Um, in the other Trek stuff I've done, like I know the characters, I've seen the characters mm -hmm. um, over a period of years, and these are new characters. Yeah. And again, you know, having the access with Kirsten and the scripts is, is great, but you're still having that um, little bit of butterflies, but it's exciting to be writing characters that nobody knows so well, so no one can come up and go, he would never do that, or he would never say that. It's Saru like, would yeah. never say that. What's wrong with you? Exactly. That's not the way yeah. to well, act. Saru is a strangely complex yeah. character. Saru. I won't say why. Yeah. I'll just say that man is an onion. He has yeah. layers. Very much Not so. literally an onion. And, and the great thing as well, to, to add to that, and um, again, we have, to be, we have to be coy about this, is the fact that the characters are in conflict. You know, and that's, that's a major theme that runs through Desperate Hours. And the other great thing about reading Desperate Hours is that Dave just loves to drop the Easter eggs. <laughs> so you will see, and, and to, to your question, sir, what you said, you definitely will see Easter eggs. Not just Easter eggs to Trek, but Easter eggs to the band Rush also. Exactly. You should always look uh, for those in it Dave's is Dave work. Gur, and I, I must do it. Um, so we, we heard a moment ago uh, from Mike and Sarah about possible 
future projects from IDW after this mini-series. I am led to believe, uh, Kirsten Ed, that there are other books in the pipeline mm. post-Desperate Hours. I mean, who can imagine a book that could follow up something David Mack Who Mac could follow me? Who could Nobody. follow you? With a we, mop. We actually have somebody backstage. Everybody, please welcome special guest, Star Trek author Dayton Ward is back there. Hey, look at this. A special guest because um, Desperate Hours is out in September, and Dayton's second book in the Discovery timeline, Breaking News, will be available when? 2018. 2018. <laughs> early tw 2018. Early 2018. All right. And Dave, it's still early days, and I don't know much about the book you're writing, but um, I heard a rumor that it may be set uh, simultaneous with an event that Star Trek fans already know from pre-existing canon. Is this rumor accurate? It certainly sounds like a great idea. <laughs> um, I'll look into that. If it were set to um, an event in pre-existing canon, we're talking 10 years before TOS, but your book is set, when is your book set compared to Desperate Hours, which is one year before the beginning oh, of, of Discovery? Am I allowed to say that? Uh. Why not? Why not? Oh my God. Okay. You heard it. Sure. Broke. Sure. Go ahead. Um, my book is set to... 10 years before the events of Discovery. Whoa. Okay. So let's put so my... Everybody's thinking... doing math and looking up memory alpha and yeah. looking... So to... uh, 10 <laughs> years... That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for yeah. it. Yeah. Nine years before David's book. We'll find out. So trust me... Okay, so without saying any more, uh, your book is set in the Discovery, with Discovery characters, 10 years before Discovery, and simultaneous with an event from canon that we all know about. I utilize two specific characters. Okay. Um, oh. And yes, it does, it does uh, unfold alongside an, a known event from established canon. Awesome. All right. Well, that's just, now I have a reason to stick around to 2018 because we got to read this and see what that's all about. Well, you know what? I think we're just about out of time. There's one lone gentleman here with a question. Hey. Do we let him ask or no? He's yeah. been very patient. All right. Bring it on. So the audiobook format mm. is something that originally got me into reading in the first place mm -hmm. back, when I, back in the day. Um, is this format something we can expect to see the upcoming Discovery novels in? Has that been considered, or is that... Yes. <laughs> yes. Now Already pre-ordered the audiobook. There you go. Yes. Yeah, I, I, yes. Think there, I think there might be a pre-order link on my website yes. for the audiobook. Exactly. You should check that out. Yeah. DavidMack.pro. Audi and audio is a very, very important part of what we're of what we're doing, and um, you will be seeing more audio. Yes. That is. You'll be hearing more audio. Hear yeah, exactly. <laughs> seeing more audio links. Hearing you more. You picky, picky man. <laughs> Guess no. what? We just did four hours of discovery. Who's exhausted? <laughs> Who's ready for a drink? Awesome. Well, remember that tomorrow the Discovery exhibit is open. You're going to check out uh, Michael Burnham's uniform. Her boots are amazing. They've boots got little amazing. Delta shields so as fasteners. I think boots are fantastic. The, the Takovma's Detach is of great honor. So I want to thank Mike Johnson and Sarah Gatos. 
David Mack, Ed Schlesinger, Kirsten Beyer, and special surprise guests, uh, Dayton Ward. Uh, please uh, rise and everybody take a photo of this esteemed panel of those that are making our Star Trek characters live and breathe in the comic book form, in the book book form, and we'll see you all again tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.